The Seventh Mansion, Chapter 4 of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Interior Castle or the Mansions by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated by the Benedictines of Stanbrook. You must not suppose, sisters, that the effects I mentioned always exist in the same degree in these souls. For, as I remember, I told you that in most cases our Lord occasionally leaves such persons to the weakness of their nature. The venomous creatures from the moat round the castle and the other mansions at once unite to revenge themselves for the time when they were deprived of their power. True, this lasts but a short time, a day perhaps, or a little longer. But during this disturbance, which generally arises from some passing event, these persons learn what benefits they derive from the holy company they are in. Our Lord gives them such great fortitude that they never desert his service, nor the good resolutions they have made, which only seem to gather strength by trial. Nor do their hearts ever turn from them, even by a slight movement of the will. This trouble rarely happens. Our Lord wishes the soul to keep in mind its natural condition so that it may be humble and may better understand how much it owes him and how great a grace it has received, and so may praise him. Do not fancy that in spite of the strong desire and determination of these souls that they do not commit imperfections and even fall into many sins. That is, not willfully. For such people are given special grace from God on this point. I mean venial sins. As far as they are aware, they are free from mortal sins, although they do not feel certain they may not be guilty of some of which they are ignorant. This grieves their hearts sorely, as does the sight of the souls perishing around them. Although, on the one hand, they have strong hopes of not being themselves among the number of the lost, Yet remembering what we were told in Holy Scripture of the fate of men who, like Solomon, seem the special favorites of God and converse so familiarly with his majesty, they cannot help fearing for themselves. Let the one among you who feels most confident on this point fear the most. For blessed is the man who feareth the Lord, as David said. May his majesty ever protect us. Let us beg him never to permit us to offend him. Therein lies our greatest safety. May he be forever praised. Amen. It would be well to tell you, sisters, the reason why God bestows such favors on souls in this world, although you must have learned this by the effects produced if you have considered the matter. I return to the matter in order that none of you may think it is only for the sake of the pleasure such persons feel, which would be a great mistake on your part, for His Majesty can bestow no greater favor on us than to give us a life which was led by His beloved Son. Therefore, as I have often told you, I feel certain that these graces are sent to strengthen our weakness so that we may imitate Him by suffering much. We always find that those nearest to Christ our Lord bear the heaviest cross. Think of what his glorious mother and the apostles bore. How do you think St. Paul 
went through such immense labors. We learn from his conduct the fruits of genuine visions and contemplation, which come from our Lord and not from our own imagination or the devil's fraud. Do you suppose that St. Paul hid himself to enjoy these spiritual consolations at leisure and did nothing else? You know that he never took a day's rest so far as we can learn, nor could he have slept much since he worked all night to get his living. I am delighted with St. Peter, who, when fleeing from prison, was met by our Lord, who told him he was going to Rome to be crucified again. I never recite the office in which this is commemorated without feeling a special joy. What effect did this vision have on St. Peter, and what did he do? He went at once to meet his death, and our Lord did him no small favor in finding him an executioner. Oh, my sisters, how forgetful of her ease, how unmindful of honors, and how far from seeking men's esteem should she be whose soul God thus chooses for his special dwelling place. For if her mind is fixed on him, as it ought to be, she must needs forget herself. All her thoughts are bent on how to please him better, and when and how she can show the love she bears him. This is the end and aim of prayer, my daughters. This is the reason of the spiritual marriage whose children are always good works. Works are the unmistakable sign which show these favors come from God, as I told you. And it will do me little good to be deeply recollected when alone, making acts of the virtues, playing and promising to do wonders in God's service, if afterwards, when occasion offers, I do just the opposite. I did wrong in saying it will do me little good, for all the time we spend with God does us great good. Though afterwards, we may weakly fail to perform our good intentions, yet sometime or other, His Majesty will find a way for us to practice them, although perhaps much to our regret. Thus, when he sees a soul very cowardly, he often sends it some great affliction, much against its will, and brings it through this trial with profit to itself. When the soul has learnt this, it is less timid in offering itself to him. I ought to have said, will do us little good, in comparison with the far greater good we can gain when our works fulfill our aspirations and our promises. She that cannot do all this at once should do it little by little, gradually dominating her will if she wishes to gain fruit from prayer. Even in this little nook, she will find many a chance to praise this. Remember, this is of far more importance than I know how to express. Fix your eyes on the crucified one, and all will seem easy. If his majesty proved his love for us by such stupendous labors and sufferings, how can you seek to please him by words alone? Do you know what it is to be truly spiritual? It is for men to make themselves the slaves of God. 
branded with his mark, which is the cross. Since they have given him their freedom, he can sell them as slaves to the whole world as he was, which would be doing them no wrong, but the greatest favor. Unless you make up your minds to do this, never expect to make much progress. For as I said, humility is the foundation of the whole building, and unless you are truly humble, our Lord, for your own sake, will never permit you to rear it very high, lest it should fall to the ground. Therefore, sisters, take care to lay a firm foundation by seeking to be the least of all and the slave of others, watching how you can please and help them, for it will benefit you more than them. Built on such strong rocks, your castle can never go to ruin. I insist again, your foundation must not consist of prayer and contemplation alone. Unless you acquire the virtues and praise them, you will always be dwarfs. And please, God, no worse may befall you than making no progress, for you know that to stop is to go back. If you love, you will never be content to come to a standstill. Perhaps you think I am speaking of beginners, that one may rest later on. But as I told you, the rest such souls feel is within them. They have less outwardly, nor do they wish for it. Why, do you think, does the soul send from its center these inspirations, or rather aspirations, the messages of which I spoke, to the dwellers in the precincts of the castle and to the surrounding mansions? To send them to sleep? No, no, no. The soul wages a fiercer war from thence to keep the powers, senses, and the whole body from being idle than ever it did when it suffered in their company. Formerly, it did not understand the immense benefit its afflictions brought, though indeed they may have been the means God used to advance it to the state. Besides, the company it enjoys gives it far greater strength than ever before. If, as David says, with the holy thou shalt be holy, doubtless by it becoming one with Almighty, by the sovereign union of spirit with spirit, the soul must gather strength, as we know the saints did, to suffer and to die. Beyond doubt, with the force thus gained, the soul secures all within the castle and even the very body itself, which often seems to have no feeling left in it. The vigor the soul derives from the wine drunk in the cellar, into which the bridegroom brought her and would not let her go, overflows into the feeble body, just as the food we eat nourishes the head and the whole frame. Indeed, the body suffers much while alive, for whatever work it does, the soul has energy for far greater tasks and goads it on to more, for all it can perform appears as nothing. This must be the reason of the severe penances performed by many of the saints, especially the glorious Magdalene, who had always spent her life in leisure. This caused the zeal felt by Father Elijah for the honor of God and the desires of St. Dominic and St. Francis to draw souls to praise the Almighty. I assure you that 
forgetful of themselves, they must have passed through no small trials. This, my sisters, is what I would have us strive for, to offer our petitions and to practice prayer, not for our own enjoyment, but to gain strength to serve God. Let us seek no fresh path. We should lose ourselves in ways of ease. It would be a strange thing to fancy we should gain these graces by any other road than by which Jesus and all his saints have gone before us. Let us not dream of such a thing. Believe me, both Martha and Mary must entertain our Lord and keep him as their guest, nor must they be so inhospitable as to offer him no food. How can Mary do this while she sits at his feet, if her sister does not help her? His food is that in every possible way we should draw souls to him so that they may be saved and may praise him forever. You may offer two objections. First, that I said that Mary had chosen the better part, for she had already done Martha's work by waiting on our Lord, by washing his feet, by wiping them with her hair. Do you think it was a small mortification for a woman of rank, as she was, to go through the street, perhaps by herself, for in her zeal she never thought of how she went? Then she entered into a house where she was a stranger and had to bear the railing of the Pharisee and many other trials. It was strange to see a woman, as she was, thus publicly change her life. With a wicked nation like the Jews, the sight of her love for our Lord, whom they hated so bitterly, was enough to make them cast in her face her former life and taunt her with wanting to become a saint. Doubtless she must have changed her rich robes and all the rest. Considering how men talk of men far less known than she was, what must have been said of her? I assure you, sisters, she won the better part after many crosses and mortifications. Must not the mere sight of men's hatred of her master have been an intolerable trial? Then think of what she endured afterwards at our Lord's death. I believe myself that she did not suffer martyrdom because she was already a martyr by grief at witnessing the crucifixion. Then what terrible pain his absence must have caused her during the long years afterwards. You see, she was not always enjoying contemplation at the feet of our Savior. Secondly, you may say that you have neither the power nor the means to lead souls to God. Though you would willingly do so, you do not know how, as you can neither teach nor preach as did the apostles. I have often written an answer to this objection, though I cannot tell whether I have done so in connection with the castle. However, as the difficulty probably often crosses your minds on account of the desires our Lord gives you of serving him, I will now speak of it again. I told you elsewhere how the devil frequently fills our thoughts with great schemes, so that instead of putting our hands to what work we can do to serve our Lord, we may rest satisfied with wishing to perform impossibilities. You can do much by prayer. And then, do not try to help the whole world, but principally your companions. This work will be all the better because you are the more bound to it. Do you think it is a trifling matter that your humility and mortification, your readiness to serve your sisters and your fervent charity towards them, and your love of God 
should be as a fire to enkindle their zeal, and that you should constantly incite them to practice the other virtues? This would be a great work and one most pleasing to our Lord. By thus doing all that is in your power, you would prove to his majesty your willingness to do still more, and he would reward you as if you had won him many souls. Do you answer? This would not be converting my sisters, for they are very good already. What business is that of yours? If they were still better, the praise they render God would please him more, and their prayers would be more helpful to their neighbors. In short, my sisters, I will conclude with this advice. Do not build towers without a foundation. For our Lord does not care so much for the importance of our works as for the love with which they are done. When we do all we can, His Majesty will enable us to do more every day. If we do not grow weary, but during the brief time this life lasts, and perhaps it will be shorter than any of you think, we give our Lord, every sacrifice we can, both interior and exterior, His Majesty will unite them with that He offered to His Father for us on the cross so that they may be worth the value given them by our love, however mean the works themselves may be. May it please His Majesty, my sisters and my daughters, that we may all meet together where we may praise him forever. And may he give me grace to practice something of what I have taught you by the merits of his Son, who liveth and reigneth forever. Amen. I assure you that I am filled with confusion myself, and I beg you, for the sake of the same Lord, Do not forget this poor sinner in your prayers.